0: chapter 13 of the sea witch this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by karen salamy the sea witch by matron murray bellou chapter 13 the trial at the immediate time of which we now write there had been some very aggravated instances of open resistance to the English and American cruisers on the African station by the slavers who thronged the coast, and the home government had sent out orders embracing extraordinary powers, in order that the first cases that might thenceforth come under the cognizant of the court might lead to such summary treatment of the offenders, as to act as an example for the rest, and thus have a most salutary effect upon the people thus engaged it was under these circumstances that captain will ratlin found himself arraigned before the maritime commission at sierra leone with a pretty hard case made out against him at the outset of affairs the truth was he had not been taken resisting the attack of captain bramble and his men but his accusers did not hesitate to represent that he was thus guilty and several were prepared maud among the rest to swear to this charge indeed captain bramble found that he had people about him who would swear to anything and he had little doubt in proving so strong a case as to jeopardize even the life of his prisoner since many of his crew had died outright in the attack upon the sea witch to say nothing of the seriously wounded all that could prejudice the court against the prisoner was duly paraded before the eyes and ears of the individual members ere yet the case was brought legally before them and at last when captain ratlin was formally brought into court he was little less than condemned already in the minds of nine-tenths of the marine court he was rather amazed to see and to hear the free way in which evidence was given against him corroborating statements which amounted to the most unmitigated falsehoods but above all to find Maud unblushingly declare that she saw him in the fight and that he shot with a pistol one of the men whose name had been returned as among the dead, and that he had wounded another. The girl avoided his eyes while she uttered her well-fabricated story, but had she met the eyes of the young commander she would have seen more of pity there than of anger, more of surprise than of reproach even. But in the meantime, while these feelings were moving him, the case was steadily progressing, and began to wear a most serious aspect as it regarded the fate of Captain Wheel Ratlin." there still remained one other witness to examine whose illness had kept him on board ship up to the last moment and who it was said could identify the prisoner as one of the party engaged in defending the deck of the slaver he was a servant of captain bramble's had attended his master in the attack but having received a blow from a handspike upon the head was rendered insensible at the first of the action and had been carried on board his ship in that condition from which state he had gradually recovered until it was thought he would be able to testify before the court at the present time after a few moments of delay the man made his appearance evidently not yet recovered from the fearful blow he had received but yet able to take his place at the witness's post and to perform the part expected of him no sooner had the court through its head addressed the witness than he answered promptly the preliminary queries put to him while the effect upon captain ratlin seemed to be like magic was it guilt that made him start so rub his eyes look about him so vaguely and then sitting down to cover his face with his hands only to go through the same pantomime again We ask, was it guilt that made him act thus? The judges noted it, and even made memorandums of the same upon the record of evidence. It was observed as significant also by every one present. Captain Bramble himself looked at the prisoner with surprise, to see him thus affected by the presence of his servant. "'For the love of heaven!' exclaimed the prisoner aloud, as though he could bear this intensity of feeling no longer. "'Who is this man?' "'It is my servant, an honest, faithful man, may it please the court.' "'Leonard Hust, by name, born in my father's service,' said Captain Bramble. "'Leonard Hust,' mused the young commander thoughtfully. "'Leonard Hust!' "'Aye, sir,' added Captain Bramble, somewhat pertly. "'Do you find any objection to that name? "'If so, sir, I pray you will declare it to the court.' "'Leonard Hust,' still mused the prisoner, without noticing this interruption. "'There is a strange ring upon my ears in repeating that name. "'Prisoner,' said the judge, "'do you recollect having done this man a severe and almost fatal harm in the late conflict?' ay ay said the young commander somewhat confused in his mind from an evident effort to recall some long-forgotten association you will be so good as to answer the question put by the court repeated the judge the court will please remember that i hurt no one and that i was not even engaged in the action referred to these good people are mistaken now it was that the attention of all were drawn towards leonard hust who in turn seemed as much surprised and as much moved by some secret cause as the prisoner had been he hastily crossed the court-room to where the prisoner sat and looking full into his eyes seemed to be for a moment entranced while the court remained silent observing these singular manifestations which they could not understand leonard leonard i say repeated captain bramble what trick is this trick whispered the man trick captain bramble tell me sir who is that man why they call him captain will ratlin and we know him to be a slaver The servant still hesitated, looking from the prisoner to his principal accuser, the English officer, then at the court, and finally drawing his master a little on one side. The man again went through the pantomime described, and placing his mouth to his master's ear whispered something which startled him as though a gun had been fired at his very ear. The shock was like electricity, and made him stagger for support." two or three times he repeated impossible impossible and finally begged the court to stay the proceedings as he was taken suddenly ill and should not be able to attend until to-morrow being the principal prosecutor and witness of course his presence was requisite to the progress of the trial and therefore as he made this request it was at once formally granted and the court adjourned for the time while the prisoner was remanded on shipboard for safe-keeping until the next day that the reader may understand the singular conduct of both the young commander and Leonard Hust, he must follow the latter worthy into his master's private room in the government house, where they proceeded at once after the occurrence is described. "'In heaven's name, Leonard, what do you mean by such an assertion?' asked Captain Bramble, throwing himself into a chair and wiping the cold perspiration from his face. "'I mean, sir, that the man on trial to-day is no more, nor less, than your brother.' "'Charles Bramble? Yes, sir. How strange is all this! How know you beyond all cavil, Leonard?' By the scar over the right eye. You gave it to him yourself. Don't you remember, sir, just previous the dog affair for which he ran away from home? By heaven! I believe you speak truly, and yet how strange, how more than strange it all is, that we should meet again in this way. It quite unplussed me, sir. I thought he was a ghost at first. Strange, strange mused the elder brother. In those days, long ago in our childhood, he crossed my path constantly, and here he is again athwart my house. By heaven! "'But it is strange, wonderful, that fate should have thrown him and Helen Huntington together again, and that neither should know the other, and yet not so very strange, for she was but eight years old when Charles ran away. Yes, he thwarted me then, but even in childhood the girl fancied him above me, and now she affects him even in his fallen fortunes.' "'What shall we do, sir, now that Master Charles has turned up again?' asked Leonard Huss, in his simplicity. "'We cannot testify against him now, sir.' "'No, no, no,' said the elder brother hastily. "'He must not be further examined.' how he has altered sir only to think continued the servant why when he went away from bramble park sir he wasn't much more than nine years old yes i remember i remembered leonard replied his master hurriedly while he walked the apartment with quick irregular steps i remember only too well this was indeed that elder brother who had when a boy so oppressed so worried and rendered miserable his brother charles as to cause him in a fit of desperation to stray away from home whether he knew not His parents saw now, alas, too late, their fatal error. But the boy was gone, no tidings could be had of him, and they believed him dead. The honest tar, whose yarn the attentive reader will remember, as given on the deck of the sea-witch, spoke truly of his commander. He had years before strayed alongside a vessel, as has been related, from whence he hardly knew himself, or was afraid to say. Hunger and neglect even then had greatly changed him, and he shipped, as has been related." The fall he got at sea threw a cloud over his brain as to past recollections up to that time, and here if the wish ever possessed him as to returning to his early home, he knew not of it. When he heard the voice of Leonard Hust in the court, it seemed to strike upon some string in memory's harp, which vibrated to old familiar recollections, and the more he heard him speak, the more sensation came over him, which led to the demonstrations which we have already witnessed." and yet he could not recall aught that would serve him as a clue the early injury to his brain seemed to have obliterated the connecting links that memory could not supply the reason probably why the servant's voice and not the brother's thus recalled him was that the former had been kind and his voice had ever sounded like music in the neglected boy's ears but the brother's voice had never had that charm or happy association connected with it As to little cousin Helen, as she was then called, it was not strange that Miss Huntington, after years of estrangement in India, meeting him under such circumstances, himself so changed, should not have recalled enough of the past to recognize him. And yet we have seen that at times she dwelt upon the tender accents of his voice like sleeping memories, herself quite ignorant of the cause of this particular influence. She was now with her mother on shore at the mission house, in an agony of suspense as to the result of the trial which was taking place she feared the worst for captain bramble had taken measures to instruct those about her to their effect that the prisoner would be found guilty and either strung up by the neck at once or be sent home to england for the same purpose mrs huntington felt sad and borne down by the position of affairs for although she did not understand her daughter's sentiments toward captain ratlin yet she recognized the fact of her and her child's indebtedness to him and that he had evinced the characteristics of a gentleman mother if they find captain ratlin guilty what can they-what will they do with him asked helen huntington anxiously of her mother on the day of the trial why my dear it is terrible to think of but the penalty of such a crime as is charged to him is death but we must hope for the best and-why helen how pale you look it was only a passing spasm mother i am-i believe i am already better said the daughter in an agony of suffering that she dared not evince come helen Lean on me and go to your bed for a while. These sudden changes and so much exposure has rendered you weak. Come, my dear, come. And the poor girl, all trembling and pale, suffered her mother to lead her to her chamber, where a gentle anodyne soothed her nerves, and she soon fell to sleep. Had her mother not been little better than blind, she would have easily read her daughter's heart, and have seen that she loved with all her woman's soul the man who was that day on trial for his life. What mattered it to her that he was nameless, a wanderer, a slaver?" She loved him, and that covered each and all faults, however heinous the sight of the law. She felt that it was not the outward associations which made a man. She had looked beneath the surface of his soul, and had seen the pure crystal depth of his manly heart, frank, open, and as truthful as day itself. To her he was noble, chivalric, and true, and if all the world had blamed him, if all had called him guilty, her bosom would have been open to receive him." could he have realized this as he lay in the chains on board his elder brother's ship could he have known that he was really loved by that fair sweet and gentle creature how it would have lightened the weight of the iron bands he bore how cheered his drooping spirits end of chapter thirteen recording by karen Salamy